Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is a former Belmont Bruin basketball player, now SEC official. But we got an awesome story to tell on perseverance, golf, and fighting through something that... Not many people can fully understand. Joining me today, Will Howard. Will, how are you today, buddy? Doing good. Let's take a deep dive. Let's take a deep dive. Well, I'm unbelievably honored to have you here. This is going to be a super special story. Before we dig into the, this, this, the big meat of the story, Belmont Bruin played college basketball. What was that experience like for you? It was great. I mean, you know Coach Bird at Belmont avid golfer great man such a great mentor they just do things the right way uh play the right way uh it's it's been great and just to grow up here in nashville go to belmont still live here within a two mile radius is pretty wild story so Mm -hmm. uh big belmont supporter when 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 you were growing up obviously basketball was a big deal to you tell me about the the dream of being like a middle schooler or even high schooler when you're like I want to play college basketball, to then experiencing D1 basketball and playing for a legendary coach like Coach Bird. Oh, for sure. It, it really was a dream come true. I mean, growing up in Nashville, honestly, Vanderbilt was a dream. I mean, SEC, highest level, and, uh, you know, you find where you uh, – what what level that you can max out at. Max out at. And for me, that was Belmont, which – was disappointing when you're a 16 year old kid and you think you can play in the SEC and this that and other and then you go have an experience at Belmont that just blows your socks off and it ends up being such a blessing in disguise to have gone there. And it's the thing that's, that's what a lot of people I would like for the kids out there that are listening or the parents of kids is that sometimes the dream has a different look than you first thought and how to go into something with a, a full heart, a full a full mind, 
and take it all in and take the best that you can get out of it instead of being disappointed or feeling like you've been cheated out of something. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's it's healthy. I, I would hope every golfer you work with wants to play in the SEC, play in the PGA Tour. I mean, dream big. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you know where you land is a disappointment. Go there and knock it out. Yeah. I mean, go be the best version of yourself. Uh, so that's. I think it's healthy to have just huge aspirations. Yeah, but. because set, why not set the? And this is like to me one of my my personal growth keys. Like when I grew up, I come from a small town in PA, and it was more of keep your expectations low so that anything that good happens to you feels great. So I grew up in a pessimistic outlook. Uh, and so I, I get into the real world as a college student, not as a semi-real world. I'm on my own. I'm from Pennsylvania, go to Mississippi State. So I'm, <laughs> Hello. I'm kind of like, it's a, it's a, it's a different world. And I, I met somebody in my third year on an internship. <coughs> Excuse me. That <coughs> We're not supposed to get choked up till later. Come I on. know, I know. So sorry about that. The, uh, and he was very, like, he goes, I'm tired of your negative, pessimistic attitude. I want you to do me a favor. For 30 days, I only want you to think positive thoughts. I want you to dream big. I want you to think about how great you can be. Because if you can set your bar so high and you don't quite get there, look how far you went. No doubt. No doubt. Instead of having a low expectation, and if you exceed it, you feel good about yourself, but look how much lower it is than this. And you looked at it as a disappointment? No, it's not. And that was a really powerful moment for me because it totally changed my life. No doubt. I did it. He said he wanted me to, he was on me because I worked with him at a golf course in Chicago. Courtney Miller, thank you very much. He was a huge, huge impact on my life. He wouldn't let me do anything else other than be positive for 30 straight days. And then I have not stopped since. I mean, think about and we'll get more into golf. Think about it on the on the golf piece. You know, uh, me as a not a very good golfer, you step up to a ball and you have these negative thoughts. Oh man, I don't want to hit it in the woods. Oh, I don't want to hit it in the water. What is that? I mean, you've already defeated yourself before you even stepped up to the shot. You yeah. know, if I'm playing basketball and, it, and it's going to come back to basketball, if I'm stepping up to a three pointer, I'm not thinking. Oh, let me just guide this up there and you know, maybe it'll just be okay. No, step up there, know that you got the game and hit the shot. And if the shot goes in the woods, step up to it in the woods and know you got the shot and hit it and hit it. It's just such a and I see it more clearly. Now now that it's too late to uh, you know, now that I'm an old man, I, I yeah. see it more clearly. But uh I mean such a powerful message. Yeah. Such a powerful message. Well one of the things I wanted to get into because this message is so gigantically powerful is that you're cruising along in life. Everything's everything's going good. And next thing you know, a really wicked curveball comes flying at you. And it's called Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I'm sure beyond, without knowing the full story until just getting ready to hear it right now, that wasn't an easy pill to swallow. Man, talk to us about talk to us about this 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 very difficult journey that you faced with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Man, it's crazy, uh, and I've got a I've got a towel here because there's no doubt I'm I'm there's no way I'm gonna get through this without some tears. The the way that golf and cancer intersected my life is just is just insane. So just a little backstory as a kid played golf a little bit, never learned the fundamentals, 
would go out, shoot 50, um, would see five shots. I'm like, man, I can play this game. And then I'd see 95 others that would tell me <laughs> <laughs> that I can't. Um, but I'd remember those five. And then didn't play for 10 or 15 years. Get back into it, you know, roughly a year ago, playing once a week. Same type thing. See five shots. I'm like, man, I can play this game. I can play this game. So I decide I'm going to join a, join a golf club. Um, my wife and I go out there. We go through the tour of the facility, all that kind of stuff. We're never together during the day. My wife works. And so that day she took off. We go tour the facility. There had been a small little lump on my neck. You know, as a male, we think, oh, I slept wrong, uh, crick in my neck, whatever. It'll go down. Mm-hmm. Didn't go down week two. So I go get it looked at. So my wife my wife and I, we go, Jessica, we go tour the club. Everything's great. Get a call on my phone. Hey, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. Um, you've got Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. So no like softening of the blood. No like, softening. Hey, I hey, wish I could, no no like hey we need to come into the office. I need to talk right. to you. Uh, no, it's just like right out of the gate. I wish I had recorded the phone call. And so you don't know what these words mean. I mean, that was March of last year, so seven months ago. I had no idea what Hodgkin's lymphoma even meant. And I think my response was okay, what's the cure for that? I mean, is it sprained ankle, you know, what do we I you know, what do we do? He goes, chemotherapy. I say, okay. You know, you hear these words without even necessarily know what it meant, uh, what it means. And right there in the car, like I said, my wife and I are never together. Have it on speakerphone. She hears everything. She breaks down. The only time she broke down throughout this whole journey, she breaks down. So now I'm sitting there thinking, okay, over the next couple of days, you know, what is Hodgkin's lymphoma? What is chemotherapy? And then you got this golf piece, you know, we went and toured the facility. I'm playing once a week, not getting any better, you know, and I kind of wanted to get better, but there's also this cancer that, you know, you don't know what to do with. So I tell her, tell her, we're talking about it. And I'm like, you know, do I, do I join, do we join the golf club? Do we pursue this, you know, through cancer And, and keep in mind, this is the start of Corona. So that's a whole nother wow that's a whole nother just uh you know a whole nother just slap in the face so we're thinking about it and she said the best advice she ever gave she goes you can't stop living your life and so join the club and from that day forward man i've just wanted to play good golf and man there were some through chemotherapy through everything there were some just bad days I'd go out there on the range, go out there on the putting green. And when I say golf got me through it, I don't think that's an exaggeration. It's crazy. And then, so go through that, go through radiation. And so did like three months of chemotherapy, go into radiation, 15 straight days of radiation. They come in, which I didn't know what that was either. I mean, these are all just terms until until you're experiencing it. They strap me down in this mask for 15, 15 minutes a day, every day. In a mask? In a mask. I'll show you a picture of it. You can send it out. It's crazy. It is snapped on so tight you can't even breathe. And, I, and all I think about during the 15 minutes is I, I do it in the afternoon 
so that I could go hit balls in the morning, go play golf if I felt good enough. Uh-huh. And all I'd think about during those 15 minutes is, all right, on number one, I sliced it into the woods, and then I pitched out. I'd just go over every shot. And I didn't necessarily know how the, the fundamentals to correct the you know bad shots, but mm-hmm. just I would go through every shot, you know, the little that I did know, okay, what could I have done different? What could I, and then the 15 minutes would be up and it would be like, it was 30 seconds. And when I show you a picture of this mask, you're, it's just crazy. Like it is just snapped into you and golf just got me through that. Like it was just nothing. And it's just crazy in my life, how golf and cancer had just intersected and the power of this sport. I mean, I'd have bad days where I was just feeling like crap from the chemotherapy or the radiation. And I'd be moping around the house. My wife would be like, you know, what, what's, what's the deal. And I'll never forget. I'm number 12 on this hole. I hit a great drive. I mean, I've never hit a drive like this. I had one, usually have 150 in par four, I had 80 in something, and oh man, this is a birdie. This is a par, and I skull it out of bounds <laughs> right over the green. So I'm moping around the house. She's like, "What's wrong? What's the deal?" I'm like, "Man, I had a triple bogey on number 12, and I was 80 yards from the green." And she's like, "What?" And this is wild radiation. I mean, it's just crazy the power that golf has, and how it's intersected in my life. And ever since I got that phone call, I mean, I could tell you right where I was on Belmont Boulevard. Every time I pass it every day, you just think back to that phone call. And ever since that moment, and ever since Jessica told me, you can't stop living your life, I've just tried to maximize my golf game. Now, I'm not good. I'm a 14 handicap, but... If that's the best, if 14 is the best I'll ever get, that's fine. I'm going to be the best 14 handicap golfer you've ever seen. If I can get to nine, I'm going to be the best nine. I'm just trying to maximize that. And it's just because golf gave me more than I've ever given it. Yeah. I mean, how powerful is that to be sitting there strapped into this radiation, just horrible machine, and you're thinking about your golf game? I mean, what other what other walk in life has that kind of power? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's documented stories of Vietnamese prisoners of war that were there for ten years, and all all the the guy did was visualize himself playing his home golf course. Wow! And he had never broken a hundred before. And when he was rescued after, I think it was ten or twelve years, he went out and shot the lowest round of golf no in, his, in his life, and hadn't touched a golf club in obviously like fifteen years. Wow! The power of the mind is is radical and until most people are never pushed far enough to fight back hard enough to find out how strong they are right you know and it's sad but it's true that we don't know how to bring that out of ourselves until we are forced to struggle sometimes for our life or struggle for our well-being and it's it's unfortunate that we can't tap into that energy without facing struggle. Right. But therein lies, you know, what makes the great coaches great is they teach you that struggle is essential for growth. If it's a straight shot to the top, 
you're destined to, you're destined to fail because there's no way you're not going to run into adversity. And if you can learn how to cope with adversity and fight through it and come out the other side, that makes it harder for you to be brought down the next time you face adversity. And I think that golf is four hours of adversity. <laughs> lots of it, man. <laughs> lots of and I would 95 you, times for yeah, me. And I would tell you that it, it's adversity for Tiger today because his idea of what great golf is, probably nobody's ever played that kind of golf. Right. So he is a shell of himself. He's still obviously a great player, but he's still, he's always comparing himself to himself, right? which is a little harsh because at one point he was probably the greatest at his sport than anybody's ever been at their sport. And to know what goes into that is very unique. When you think back to the darkest moments, I mean, I'm, I would be interested to hear if you'd be willing to share the, the process of chemotherapy for Hodgkin's lymphoma, what was that? What was that like? Man, it's it, like I mentioned. All this happened in March of uh, of March. What year? Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Sorry, it, it all. Twenty twenty, of course. Yeah. yeah. So twenty twenty. So that's right when coronavirus hit, and so they use these terms, you know, you'll probably be okay, except if you're immune compromised. And then when you are the one that's immune compromised, man, that statement hits you hard. And there was so little out there at this point about the virus. So, you know, we're wiping down our Amazon packages. We're doing all this stuff. Whereas now, you know, we have a little bit more information, but we're doing all this while going through chemotherapy and on, and on a side, side note whoever came up with the statement immune compromised oh i hope he's immune compromised i mean <laughs> compromised to me is like you're in a battlefield and you've had made some strategic decisions that have gone wrong and you're compromised like throughout this whole thing like that statement just pissed me off really immune mm. com- like what did i do wrong how am i compromised like uh, how am i compromised so you're going through the corona chemotherapy. Um, for me, every two weeks was when I would do chemotherapy, which is somewhat cruel in that you start to feel a little bit better, and then it's time to do it again. Mm. So it knocks you on your butt for a week, four or five days, starting to get a little strength. You know, I start hitting my driver, you know, 240 instead of 180. <laughs> wow. And then you get knocked back again. Um, so that that was hard. But like I said, just going out and if uh, just just going out, I'd see guys out on the range, and my face would be just just no hair, just ghost white, just out there hitting balls with the worst fundamentals you could ever. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. No idea what I'm doing right. I'm just hitting balls exercising exercising and something about golf i mean i i say it playing shitty golf was my therapy i mean Mm. (laughs) it's crazy to think like that but it's just going out there and then reliving those shots and then the four or five that you feel like whoa that's that's the one and that's Mm. what brought me to you, which is, I mean, and this is the first time, it's just kind of a wild experience how golf, cancer, corona, meeting you, talking about, this is the first time I've ever shared any of this stuff, wow. how it's all come together. It's just, 
it's just wild. And I, and I hope to get on the other side of this. You push me. I leave here. I mean, I'm thinking golf. Oh, that's a nice, you know, relaxing sport. I leave here pouring sweat. And you're saying more, more, more hip turn, more shoulder turn, more swing speed, more, more. I leave here and some of Coach Bird's easiest practices. <laughs> I sweated less then than I do now. I'm like, man, this is golf. Like, it, but it's crazy. And then you start to feel what a good shot, start to feel the fundamentals and it's just like you just want it more yeah well you are you're like a coach's dream because you got great size and great speed and you were literally just paralyzed with either bad information or no information and like so what to to preface the the people that are listening is that your your swing had very little turn you were using all of your arms that's about all you used and it was not powerful at all so we introduced you to coil and uncoil and every lesson is me trying to encourage you to swing as fast as you possibly can. And I still don't even think you're letting go, but you don't know how to be any faster than you are. So I just keep on pushing, pushing, pushing. We're up like 11 miles per hour right now, and we're not even close yet because you haven't – I still feel like you, you've pulled a parachute and you pulled the emergency <laughs> brake coming into the golf ball, and it's already faster than ever, but it's – you know, what happens is it's not hard to learn golf. It's hard to unlearn it. And you're a, you have a deep love for it and you want to digest my words like a steak. Like everything <laughs> that I say, you are like, you got the fork out and the knife out and you're, you're cutting it and, and chewing it up. And that's a beautiful thing. And without knowing the story uh, of like the, how recent this fight is, I thought it was last year. It's like, Seven months ago, yep. six months ago, yep. that's unbelievable. That how well you're doing, knowing that, that's remarkable. On the on the addictive front of golf, now that you've experienced what technique looks like, and you see your swing, and you compare it with Justin Thomas or Brant or you know all the great players that I can show you videos of, and knowing the athlete mind in you and the desire to push to be the best that you can be. Talk to us about your experience of learning golf at the highest level, because you want to be at your highest level. What's it like on the inside of you? Oh, it is just, I mean, I could, I could live here at this facility. It is just amazing to think, you know, watching golf without knowing anything you, you see, okay, you just move your arms back, move your arms forward, and you're good to go. The more you understand the mechanics and the lower body and the hips, you realize it's just like an aha moment. Like, oh, oh, okay, that's that's what it is. And, and as a not a very good golfer, you stand over a 150-yard shot and you think, oh, let me kind of guide this up there. Let me, let me just kind of – and that's wrong. That's just so wrong. You stand over it, you – with the correct fundamentals, you give the swing speed that you're capable of doing. There's no guiding. I gave the basketball analogy earlier, but I mean, in no other sport is a quarterback, a wide open receiver. Oh, let me just kind of ease this. No, you step into it. You throw it like you're trained to do. Same as golf, 150 yard shot, step up to it with the same fundamentals, swing speed and go after it. There's no guiding. Oh, let me ease this. You, you know, that's just so wrong and that's kind of where I came into it and then I'd 
chunk it a hundred yards and think, oh, you know, uh, you know, maybe I need to move my arms more. And then you read Golf Digest and you read or <laughs> Google something. It's like, oh, we'll move your left thumb a quarter of an inch this way and your right pinky this way, and that'll no, no, no. Like <laughs> the more you read and the more of the of, of that kind of stuff, you realize how on the wrong path I was. You know, I tell you what's even more befuddling is what do you think the ratio of is on youtube between people who are talking about how to shoot a jump shot versus how to swing a golf club <laughs> is it like 500 800 to one i mean there can't be that many videos about how to shoot a proper jump shot and if you're missing your shots to the right or are you front rimming everything uh, and there can't be that much but buddy there are literally billions of videos on how to swing a golf club. Oh, yeah. You can get as the, lost as you can get. Oh, as lost as you can get. And you and I have referenced, you know, the, the, there's eight or ten things that a that a golfer like me that's not very good thinks they know about the golf swing. And I, and I can't remember exactly what those eight or ten are, but they're just totally wrong. You know, it's, oh, just, yeah. it's just totally wrong. And we're out there wondering why we shoot a 95. Well, those those okay, left arm straight, right arm here. You know, I'm thinking that over the golf ball. And the first time you and I talked, it's just like, get out of that. Because if I, if I 20 years ago, when I was a good shooter, if I stepped up to a wide open three-point shot and thought, okay, left toe here, right index finger here, right elbow here, my head tilted, that, that's, that's not how you play the game yeah. successfully. So... You've gotten me out of that mindset. We've still got a long, long way to go. But. Well, the good news is, though, is that your your curve, your learning curve, is going to be quick because you don't have that much what I call golf swing brain damage. You do have all the normal things. And for people out there that are learning the game of golf or don't take golf lessons, I'm going to throw a couple of things out there that rocked Will's mind, <laughs> which rocked literally almost everybody. It's what I call job security. <laughs> job security is that this game looks like one thing, and it is very different than what it looks like. So the first thing that everybody does, and me, Tiger included, everybody who's done, you pick up the implement, the seven iron, the eight iron, and you sit it behind the ball, and you're like, how in the world is this ball going to get up in the air? Do I have to figure out how to get under it? Oh, yeah, let's ice cream scoop let's it, right? Scoop it, let's, let's, <laughs> let's lift it right out of here. The problem is that doesn't work. So then you start to think, Okay, well, I'm set up. My shoulders are square. My hips are square. My feet are square to the target line or perpendicular to the target line, aiming parallel left for a right-handed golfer. So that means if I'm set up square, that means i got to come back to square at impact. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the thing that I see the most is that most people believe that they have to bring their hips and their shoulders to the square position to hit the golf ball so that that would allow the face to come into the ball square. Well, as you learned, and it was, I think that's probably what the thing that blew your mind the most was that how f open, as in rotationally open left, your sternum and your belly button or your belt buckle is compared to what you look like at a dress. Because it's really like your hips are 35 ish degrees open and your sternum's like 22 ish degrees open at impact. But, but it doesn't seem like, if I'd have told you that the first time you picked up a golf club, you'd be like, whatever <laughs> right no doubt and then because there's nothing in sport that creates more horsepower than the golf swing it's really hard on the body 
which is why you leave here sweating because one, I'm, I'm making you swing as fast as you possibly can. But to encourage speed also encourages efficiency because you can't swing at it fast and terrible. Right. You can swing at it hard and terrible, right. but that might not be fast. You might be exerting, but it's not the club head itself isn't moving fast. There's a lot of grunting and heaving, but there's not a lot of speed. <laughs> and so to, to help people understand that it, what it looks like on TV and what it looks like to your brain as you're setting up over it is nothing as it seems to reference a Pearl Jam song. It is so <laughs> not what it looks like. And to help people, like, because this game creates a level of joy and love because it can't be figured out. It's the difference between checkers and chess. Once you figure out checkers, you got it's simple. It, chess, there's millions of combinations. Yeah. Golf, there's millions of combinations. So there's not a golf swing. There are, there are things that work off of certain positions. Because if it was a golf swing, that means Sergio Garcia and Lee Trevino and Jack Nicklaus and you know, Matt Wolf today, they couldn't play great golf because it's very unconventional. Right, right. But there's no such thing as the golf swing. So my job is to encourage people to swing fast because that's the easiest thing your body can do. As soon as I get you to swing as fast as you can, I'm going to try to bend that motion toward the target. So your swing was, you know, pretty inside out, right? And in an incorrect way, like this very bizarre steep motion where you didn't have a lot of turn, the, your arms dropped underneath and it got steep and you'd hit it fat and you'd hit it off the toe and it'd go left and it'd go right. So in some ways it looked like it was over the top, but it was really traveling to the right because of the sliding that you had and the lack of rotation. That's a revealing place for somebody. And obviously I could tell in maybe like the 20th minute of our first lesson when you hit it literally 47 yards longer than you were when you came in <laughs> that you were home. You can see it and now, especially now hearing your story and how much golf means, what golf means to you and your struggle right now. Now I know why you looked so home because you're like, I understand now. Now I got some, I got some unlearning to do, but wow, that's it. That's a, that's freeing to be liberated from bad information. For sure. For sure. And like we talked about, there's so much bad information, put your left arm here, do this, do that. And anybody that's on, on the fence about coming to see Virgil, it is just, it has just been awesome. I mean, to just see it and then you can turn on the U S open happens to be on today and then you can see oh wow they're justin thomas's hips are wide open when it, you know it's like oh but then you look at a video of yourself and you think man my hips are just they couldn't be anymore at the target then you see a video of yourself you're like no i still got there's a, more to go there's more to go there's more to go and then you see it on tv you're like oh that's what it looks like and you and i talked about the what the brain thinks mm-hmm. is happening and then you see it on video. I mean, we we talk about it in my line of work. You can talk about it in anything. The tape doesn't lie. I mean, the tape does not lie. You think, oh, I'm uh, I'm just really spinning my hips. I'm really getting my shoulder turned. Then you look at it, you're like, more to go. Yeah. A lot more to go. And just finding that untapped power. Man, I, I, I hit shots now. And, I, again, I'm not good. I hit shots now. I've never been long ever. You you saw yeah. my swing. I mean, 
never been considered long. I hit shots now, and my buddies are like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's to me, that's the greatest gift of it all for me is to help people enjoy a game. It's a life game. That's what makes it so compelling is that you'll be able to play this until you're 85, you know, and that's like the, the and it's something like golf's never going to die. People talk about the game has been struggling. Of course, coronavirus was like the greatest gift for golf right, because it's the only wild. sport that we yeah. can play. And it's like I've never been busier. I mean, I would say that barring that when I was working with Snedeker on the tour and traveling a, a lot, and then the amount of time I was in an airplane to and fro, coming back and then teaching the same amount of golf, that was busy. But like right now, just only teaching just nonstop golf lessons. I'm not sure that I've ever been busier at it, thanks to the thanks to the Rona, you know. But at the end of the day, um, it's it's fascinating to me because golf's never going anywhere because of two things. There's hardly anything left in this world where you can spend four and a half or five hours of time with people you love, doing something that you love. Period. Yeah. And it's something that you can do that keeps you. If you're a competitor like you are. You can keep competing for the rest of your life with friends on a, on, in a beautiful place. How is that going to get old? Oh. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, it has a little bit of exclusion, airy, but that's, that's slowly being chipped away. I mean, for every super-duper elite private club, there's probably five public golf courses that they'll accept anybody who wants to pay the fee to go play. Oh, no doubt. I went and walked... Uh... 26 bucks yes i mean 18 you know you can get out there and it's just amazing the power of golf you know to in my personal struggles to be going through chemotherapy radiation coronavirus on top of that a compromised immune system and to have your mind wrapped around golf i mean it's just it's just crazy it is just it just makes you want to maximize your potential. And what else, you know, what else is there in life? Like we talked about just trying, I mean, it might be unrealistic. I think I can play par golf. Oh my God. Absolutely. You can. It's, I see things and I, and when I was shooting 95, I would be like, man, I can play this game. I can play this game. I had no idea the fundamentals and it's just like a laser focus. And well, I ever get any anything out of it monetarily or no god no but that the sport has given me so much more than i could ever give it just to be laying there and i mean to just be hooked up to all these machines and people using these terms that you don't even know what they are and all you're thinking about is that scold uh 56 degree wedge (laughs) (laughs) That you hit out of bounds, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. There's so many great stories out there. Ozzy Osbourne, not Ozzy Osbourne, I'm sorry. Um, Alice Cooper is talked about it saved him from alcoholism, you know, and it's allowed him to continue to play rock and roll music for, for still playing, <clears throat> but he wouldn't have been able to do it if he was still drinking. Wow. You know, and there's so many people that it's, I mean, Golf Magazine does a great job about every other issue they they have an, an interview with somebody that golf has saved their life. Those stories never get old to me. Oh, it, it's it's amazing. And really just, I got a phone call the other day, Ernie Johnson, never met him from uh, NBA on TNT. Oh, uh, really? That's cool. Great. 
mutual friend calls me and he's like, man, you're, uh, you're in the club now. I was like, okay, what, what is that? Or, or, for those that don't know, he had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So two types of ho- Hodgkin's is what I had. Mario Lemieux, for guys that are roughly our age, I'm 40, yeah. uh, he had that. Non-Hodgkin's is what you see all the infomercials about. Uh, Roundup Weed Killer, if you got non-Hodgkin's from that, you can get in a class action. So two separate things. Ernie had non-Hodgkin's, so he calls me, and he's like, man, you're in the club now. I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? He's like, anybody that you got to be there for people, and that's what I wanted to convey to you on this. If there's there's so much just you don't know. I mean, when I got that phone call, like I said, I didn't know what Hodgkin's lymphoma meant, didn't know what chemotherapy meant, didn't know what radiation, and like the golf swing, you can Google it. And you're going to find a million different things saying a million different, I'm a 40-year-old male. What, how it affects me is different than a 70-year-old female. So it's mm-hmm. like there's so much out there, but so much doesn't apply to you. Same as a golf swing. So if there's anybody out there listening, whether you're going through yourself, kid, family, friend, anybody, uh, call me. We'll talk. I can give you what worked for me, what didn't work for what didn't work for me. It's just... He was, and the more you think about it, I mean, two days ago, John Daly, former cancer, uh, Cal Ripken, two weeks ago, former cancer. It's like the more you experience it, the more you see it out in the world. And it's like, wow, cancer is not going anywhere. Golf's not going anywhere. Um, it's just really powerful. So if if there's anybody out there that needs, you know, I, I don't have a magic pill. I wish I did, but I can talk and there's therapy and talking. I, uh, this is therapeutic for me right now. I mean, I don't know if uh, you take insurance. I could send you my uh, medical insurance bill. This is like a therapy (laughs) session for me. This is awesome. Um, So there's therapy and talking, me and Ernie talking, me and whoever talking about it. So even if we just talk, there's therapy in that. Mm -hmm. So true. Well, I would tell anybody out there to reach out to me through my social media platforms where where this podcast comes out so that I can hook you up with with Will and he'll see, I'm on LinkedIn. I post it on LinkedIn every Friday, Facebook, t- Twitter, and Instagram. All of all of my social media platforms. Uh, the 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 podcast is available, and then you can reach out to me, and I'll connect you with Will. So it's a that's a uh, it's a beautiful message. <clears throat> basketball. Um, who's the greatest basketball player you ever went up against? Wow, that's a good one. Uh we played Stanford one year. I mean, and this was Stanford at its peak. I think there were two or three in the country packed. Uh, I mean, they beat us so bad. We played Florida one year. They were number two in the country. And I'll never forget, I was I was inbounding the ball. They were just pressing us. It's uh, They had, you know, Mike Miller, Bonner, Brett Nelson. I mean, they had pros. Was that Joe Kim Noah, too? Uh, he's a little after. Oh, he was uh, after that? Yeah. And... I'm 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 six three six four. I'm throwing the ball in on their press, and they have this seven foot guy guarding me. I mean, I can't see. I mean, <laughs> he's seven foot two sixty. Probably runs a four five forty. Like, I can't see. It was a miracle for us to get the ball across half court. I mean, it was like there's a different level of athlete out there, and mm-hmm. when you see it, and that's why I love going to these. NBA games or anything at the top of their level, you look at it and you're like, whoa, I'm sure the same as golf. I've never yeah. played with a, you know, I, I don't know what a 65 round looks, looks like. like. I've never played with anybody like that. 
I've seen it at basketball. I'd love to see it in golf. If there's any 65 golfers, I, I would love to see I don't even know. I can't even fathom what it looks like. But when you see it, you know it. You're like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that because you're a referee, I'm, I'm more interested in not so much the refereeing, but you know, commentary now in all sports. And I would have to say that it started with Monday Night Football with John Gruden and Jaworski. There's a level of intellect now that is being brought out in all sports. Maybe Hubie Brown, too. Hubie Brown oh, is amazing. I could listen to him all day long. And explaining what's happening. Like, we're in a great information era in all sports as we're watching it live. We are now in front of the greatest minds ever describing what they see. So I, I love watching NBA Tonight with Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley and Shaq and Ernie. And, and Ernie does a great job. Oh, he's the best. But can you imagine how hard that guy laughs off the set? Oh. <laughs> because the, the, the kind of talk that Shaq and Barkley get into, not the, I mean, it's obviously the there's some funny ones, but they really get into some really deep, and Kenny Smith too gets what into What about them. Barkley's swing? Could you do anything with that? Mm, yes. You could? Okay. Mm, I could. But I, I don't know how much of that is now locked into his neuroplasticity like how, how much of that's like now he can't even control it right but he's getting better is he he's getting better it's, an, it's it's only a micro hitch instead of the mega hitch you know I, I made a reference to that jokingly i've read a little bit about it and i respect him so much because he goes out there and i'm sure shoots 120 but he loves the game and he has so much fun and joy playing about it think about it to play the game that poorly and to still come out and just love it and play it the next day like i'll leave there and it it just goes back to how golf impacts all of us you know he Mm -hmm. has such a joy when he leaves there shooting 120 i mean (laughs) the greatest one of the greatest power forwards of our era you know just a supreme athlete can go out there and some guy that we grab off the street could beat him at a sport you just and for him to keep coming back i mean i have so much of admiration for that no uh, so much admiration for that well you grew up in an era with jordan too so the, the jordan documentaries that came out perfectly timed for coronavirus what did you think about that 10-part series that they did on jordan and the bulls it was it was great i mean just to again come back to golf to see his love for it i mean you hear all the stories of uh you know the dream team stories he'd go play 18 and then go play (laughs) go play against croatia or whoever yep i mean it is just so cool to see how golf impacts these guys and i know you don't you didn't ask me about golf but it just like to me it all comes back to that like it's just crazy you're you're out there and he's I'm sure the stories are legendary, but I mean, he's just obsessed with the game, obsessed with maximizing his potential. And that documentary is awesome. It was such, I was born in 1980. It was such a great walk down memory lane, you know, and my son is 10 and, you know, Michael Jordan's done an amazing job with branding. You know, my son is familiar with the shoes, the shirts, but I mean, he didn't know who Michael Jordan was, never seen him play a game, didn't know about the Bulls, didn't know about Rodman, didn't know about Pippen, Phil Jackson, like the whole circus. Imagine if that team had been in 2020. Twitter, can you imagine? No. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) That would be be something else I mean, it would be something else. But to go back down memory lane, and like you said, that was such perfect timing, having that at the the peak of Corona, what a walk down memory lane. Yeah. I loved it. Made me want to get on the basketball court 
I but bet. then I went and play golf instead. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I, I did a podcast with Drew Maddox, and Drew is a buddy of yours. Yes, and we talked about like the death of college basketball. Bas- college basketball was so amazing when we were growing up. You know, so I'm a little bit older than you. So like I was, you know, I got a chance to see Worthy and Perkins awesome. and MJ and Jimmy Black and Matt Doherty, that North Carolina team take on Patrick Ewing and and that whole Georgetown crew, right? And then I was a huge Ralph Sampson fan. I loved UVA. I loved Ralph Sampson. I loved the way he played. And then to watch the game go you know, through five slam a jam on that whole thing. And then two of the greatest upsets in college basketball history with the Wolfpack and Villanova, yep. you know, all those things kind of go on and then all the great coaches that come and go. And then now basketball is almost like the minor, like a one-year stop between high school basketball and the NBA. And anything else than that is boring, which is sad. I know. Just to think back in into our era, you know, the Big East was at its prime. You had, you Pearl know. Washington. Oh, my gosh. I mean, every night. I mean, and TV, you know, we were watching TV on a little 12-inch TV. And every every Monday was Big Monday. And it'd be... Georgetown versus Syracuse and all these major matchups with these huge personality coaches and the players were there for four years. And it was almost like the less information. I mean, there was no, now you can turn on a game on any Saturday and you could see 50 college basketball games where in our era, you turn it on for that big Monday and it's like, wow, this is an event. Patrick Ewing. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, Georgetown was a dream, like Hoya paranoia. Like I just loved it. Then I kind of switched to like Michigan fab five and like those guys. Uh, it is just, and now, I mean, technology is great. We're we're about to get on this swing track and I can look at my crappy swing compared to what it's supposed to look like. But there's also something to be said about, you know, less and seeing those big Monday games and seeing these huge personalities and looking forward to that all week, man, I could tell you when Georgetown was playing Syracuse and those huge big East games. And it was just like a war out there. Uh, and you know, one and done has changed some of that. Uh, hopefully there'll be some changes there where these guys can stay in college where, you know, you're a Mississippi state guy. You can get to know these players for mm-hmm three or four years i mean mississippi states had pros last three or four years but you know they they're gone after a year or two so you know hopefully it'll get to where you can you know maybe go for the lebrons for Mm -hmm. the tigers for the whoever go do you think it's a good idea that you can either just go straight from high school to the nba but if you go play college you got to stay three years you know i I like the baseball model i mean i do I, i can definitely see the other side of it restrictive you know if you're 18 how do you go to war and you can't go to pros i mean i get that but i also like the baseball model and i think the g league is now doing a good thing where they're identifying the top 10 20 guys putting them kind of on the nba program and then the rest you're going to go to college and what about development you know i mean what about staying somewhere and developing and after year three in college you can go to the pros you're a better player then and you developed and showed all these guys and I mean, just back to my story. Okay, so say you are uh, a guy that goes to college and you think, man, I want to play in the NBA. Well, I wanted to go to Vanderbilt. I played at Belmont, you know. But every time I'd go against those guys, I'd I'd try and show them, which wasn't always successful, hey, man, I could have done this. Uh You know, it it has to drive you as a competitor. So I hope they get back to that model, and there's a lot of talk about doing that. Yeah, I think that would be great. It's also interesting. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on basketball. Because I love basketball, I was just five. <laughs> I love golf. <laughs> <laughs> is you know 
the game has changed so much now to the three-point shot and spacing it out, and analytics have played a huge role in that. And I was talking with, with Drew for sure, but about other, like the center is dead, almost like the running back is dead in football, essentially. Obviously, D- Derrick Henry's given the running back a little bit of hope. But like in basketball, man, the last big center was Shaq. I know, isn't that wild? I was it, watching a game last night, and the Celtics had nobody on the court at, at crunch time over 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, Grant Williams, uh, UT guy, was playing the center, and it's like space – dribble drive, shoot the three, try and draw a foul. And I'm sure you've been around a guy that's seven foot. Like, these guys, a Carl Anthony Towns, a Joel Embiid, if you saw – the TV doesn't do it justice. If you walked down the street and saw uh, Shaq or Joel Embiid, I mean, your jaw would hit the floor. I mean, you're not supposed to be that big, run that fast, and be able to do these things. Yeah. So I do look forward to a time when, you know, the Ewings, when when those guys can really maximize their uh, their game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like threes. I like doing that. I don't necessarily like the way the game's going where you shoot a million threes. Uh, but, yeah, just to see these big guys and to just try and maximize them. I mean, these are freaks, man. Yeah. I mean, you showed me a, a video on uh, TrackMan of, of uh, Cameron Champ. I mean, the word you used was freak, and basketball's the same way. Like, if you're seven foot tall, you're not supposed to be able to run like that, be fast like that. Yeah. It's just crazy. So I look forward to, to, to a time where they can kind of get back to that style and maximize that for yeah. sure. Because the guy that I missed the most, now I love Shaq because I loved, I loved how he played the game. But the person I think gets severely overlooked in his dominance was Akeem Olajuwon. Oh, look at his footwork. I Amazing. Mean, and that's who all the guys go to when they need to learn, okay, if you're seven foot, you learn up, man, I'm just going to overpower and just dunk on you, dunk on you. Okay, well, then when you start playing against other guys that look like you and are as good as you, you realize, hmm, I need to figure out a move or two. <laughs> I mean, that dream shake, he was so, so good. And in that era where – you know, Barkley was never ever able to win a title. Ewing and Hakeem got a couple. I mean, in the Jordan, in the Jordan era. era. Who yeah. else can say that? I Not mean, many. and he was surrounded by good players, Hakeem, but he wasn't surrounded by Hall of Famers by any stretch. Yeah. I mean, just that footwork. But he grew up playing a different sport, you know. He didn't pick up basketball till later. So he, he had the soccer footwork mm-hmm. hand, and it, and it comes back – to golf a little bit in that like it's it's about the body parts that you wouldn't you think basketball oh man it's just arm motion just shooting it well no look at the lower body and it goes back to the golf swing that that we'll work on it it's a lower body swing you know out of the ground yeah it's just crazy once you the light bulb goes off and you realize that you're like huh okay it's not just moving my arms back moving my arms forward face Squared impact, all the yeah. stuff you, all the <laughs> stuff you just said, like, oh, it's just like a aha moment. So Hakeem was one of my favorites growing up too, man. He was a monster, no monster. Doubt. Well, the second half of the show is based around the things you love to do to recharge your batteries and fill yourself up. Because as your story indicates, there's plenty being taken out, but we got to charge back up. And usually, although the coronavirus has taken away a lot of these things. The things that people do to recharge their batteries has a lot to do with bringing a lot of people together in like-mindedness to celebrate things like a sporting event, live concerts, theater, going to movies. All of those things currently are just about 
vanished. <laughs> and then family and, and friends and, you know, food and wine and stuff like that. Those things are the, the hallmarks of togetherness that fill people's cup up. As you were growing up, what were your favorite bands, favorite music? You know, it's so weird. I've always, I listen to sports talk. Like I've really <laughs> not music, huh? Not a music guy. Like I've, my first word was ball. Like I just love sports and trying to figure out the game. Grew up playing, you know, everything, everything, not, and, and then eventually kind of honed in on basketball because that was what I was best at. But, and I'll still, when I leave here, I'll get on the, and I'll put on, put on uh, sports talk radio. I don't know why. I just love hearing about sports. Who's the king of sports talk? You think it's Dan Patrick? Dan's good. Um, I think we got some good local guys here. Yeah, we do. We do have some good local guys here. Uh, you know, nationally, you know, it, I like I like to be entertained. You know, I like the Stephen A. Smiths. Like, I like the Skip Baylesses. Don't always agree with, you know, the majority of they said. But if you can leave there thinking if it expanded your mind or if you thought for that – 10-minute drive, man, that was entertaining because nobody wants to hear, okay, last night the Astros beat the Reds 4-3. to three. Like, if you can hear something that it's minimum entertaining, like, that's yeah. all I'm looking for. A little, little provocative. Exactly. Yeah, like, to me, I grew up in the, the when the mothership ESPN oh, yeah. was gigantic, yeah. and I loved Patrick and Oberman. Oh, the best. And Kilborn and Stuart oh, Scott. I mean, those are like comedy shows if you go they back and watch were. some of those. Like, it is crazy. Oh, there were so many great, like, those guys had so many great one liners that either led into or finished out a clip. I, I, got, I got my game right just listening oh, to all the stuff they, they said. They pushed the envelope so much. It was great. <laughs> I mean, you could leave there and just laughing and back to what it's just entertainment because sports is supposed to be fun. Like, it's supposed to be fun to go play golf. It's supposed to be fun to go play basketball. And it's and those guys made it so fun. No doubt. So do you, do you ever been to a, what's your favorite concert? Been to a concert? Oh my gosh. This is this is really fav, favorite concert, man. Are you gonna throw me out of here if I give the answer that's coming in my no, head? No, man. This is Taylor this is, Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. That's somebody I want to see so bad. Oh, you got to go. It's like she, it, her, and Zach Brown are are really the only two people that are still alive that I want to see so bad. Oh, you got to go. Yet. You talk about entertaining. Whether you like the music, don't like the music, I probably knew three songs going into it, and. It was at uh, Titan Stadium. None of the 70,000 people sat down. Can you imagine being able to captivate an audience of 70,000 for three hours? I mean, she's suspending over, f flying down, uh, you know, wires. I mean, it is a, it's like a Cirque du Soleil show yeah. with some music. It was just incredible. Like, so she has that it. No doubt. Piece. That, that's why I want to go see her. I mean, I, I like a lot of her music. I think that she's. She's transcended country music oh, to for a sure. point for where, sure. yes, I'm country, but I'm also pop, and now she's kind of alternative with this yeah. new one that yeah. she's cut out. I love talent, and I love people that aren't afraid to do things differently. Oh, push the envelope. I mean, I probably the number two would be Katy Perry. Same. I went oh, to her at Bridgestone. Yeah. I mean, wow, what a show. I And like... I guess I'm not a music buff per se, so somebody sitting up and playing a guitar for two hours, I would definitely appreciate that, but I also appreciate the Cirque du Soleil, uh, you know, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift kind of mm -hmm. vibe, so. 
Those think, would be my two favorites. I think it's so fascinating. The athletes dream of being the guy standing in front of the microphone singing in front of 70,000 people. And, and like my one of my favorite bands is Pearl Jam, right? So Eddie Vedder loves the Cubs. He dreams about playing <laughs> playing for the Cubs, right? But I can't imagine the power that you'd – like what it has to feel like. And I asked Vince Gill this. I'm like, man, what is it like to stand up in front of – you know, and for him, it's probably 40,000 be the max, maybe 50,000, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm short selling it. But then you get like the, the mega, like the Rolling Stones or when Guns N' Roses came back after 20 years off and they're playing in front of like 85,000 people. And you just walk up there and you just play one strum of the guitar and everybody knows what you're going to sing and they sing it back to you and you feel how much your song impacted their life. Oh, can you imagine? I cannot imagine, but I got to think that it might be it has to be overwhelming. And with those bands that you just mentioned, if any of them are golfers, would they trade that feeling to be able to hit it on the sweet spot every time? You know? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> because once they've experienced that, that's just who they are. Yep. <clears throat> and they always want to be something. We're always trying to be something that we're not yet. Yep. We're always striving. But man, that is a that is a feeling. That's why I love live music, because I, I get that sensation of... <clears throat> I know that I'm nowhere on that scale, but I love to impact people's lives. I do it one at a time. And on this golf team, you know, maybe, okay, so I got 22 kids on this golf team, so maybe I'm impacting some of them at one time. But I'm always in search of that, that sensation of, like, their words and their pain. Usually it's pain. Occasionally it's love, but usually it's the songs that come from pain because life is such a struggle people relate to it no so doubt. much right so you listen to <clears throat> excuse me two bands that i've seen that you can see the pain in the lead singer's eyes when he's singing i've been i've been fortunate to see up close a couple <clears throat> so when you used to listen to eddie vedder sing release <clears throat> and you know where that song comes from and the song and he sings especially early in his life it's kind of evolved as he's gotten older it's not as sad anymore as it was when he was in 1992 93 when he's singing that song, he's looking right through you. Oh, no doubt. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> and then another, I'm, I'm, I'm a big big guy in, in music, right? So I went to see Pantera. <clears throat> and for those of you who don't know who Pantera is, <clears throat> they're the kings of rock and uh, heavy metal, in my opinion. And <clears throat> they, they played a show at Fort Benning for all the soldiers coming back from Desert Storm. Oh, wow. Right? And <clears throat> that guy's songs are... He's went through abuse that you can't fathom. Wow, right? I don't know his story. I'll <clears throat> have to go look it up. It's awful. So it's it's very hard. But to listen to him sing it, <clears throat> you realize that it's therapy to him. No doubt. Same as golf is therapy yeah. to me through through this. I yeah. mean, it, it's just finding something. And I, I see the world. It's crazy. You have to go through an experience like I do to have the light bulb go off and see the world. I mean, I would encourage anybody out there, find something to be obsessed with, you know, whether in a healthy way, you yeah. know, don't go do anything crazy, but you know, whether it's music, golf, whatever, like find something where you're just obsessed with maximizing your potential and then just go after it. Yeah. I mean, that's 100%. been the main takeaway I've had through all this. Cause like my wife told me when we were riding in the car, uh, you can't stop living your life. You just have to just go after it and just so just find something. For me, it's been golf. For the next guy, it might be tennis. You know, who knows what it is, but find something, maximize, just freaking go after it. We were talking beforehand about 
the David Goggins book. And if anybody who hasn't, two of the things that have come out of my struggle <laughs> has been reading and golf. That's what got me through what I went through. Man, I read more books. I'd go play golf than I'd read books. Go read books, play golf. And the Goggins book, I didn't even know who you, you knew who he was until I got here today, saw the book, and I was like, man, that story. And I've never met the guy. I've no, I get nothing from saying this, but go read that book. Wow. I yeah, mean, if you think you got it tough, wow. Go read that book. Go read that book. And see where he's come from. If you think you're – I did the Peloton this morning. <clears throat> Do I – did I max? Did I push it? When you see somebody that's pushing it to the freaking limits, you look at yourself and like, "Am I pushing myself? You know, uh, am, I, am I a little bit tired? Am I going to back it down? Is my swing speed to the limit?" You're telling me it's not. I think it is. It's not. Yep. Now, how do we untap that? <clears throat> you know, it's all right there. It's just a matter of tapping into it. Well, well I think maybe I don't give it enough credence, right? So, <clears throat> I'm a huge reader. What are your favorite books? Gosh, it's thinking, you know, we we just referenced it. The Goggins book is just life-changing. I'm not a big kind of non-novel uh, kind of guy. Like, yeah. I want to read some guys that have, I guess, back to the... Biographies. Yeah. I want to know what you went through, how you got through it. What are and, and I'll be reading, and I'll just have the notes out on my phone. If somebody says something... I'm like, ah, oh, write that down. Remember that. I've got a whole sheet of notes. Some of the things that you've said where, because you read it and you digest it, but then you move on with your life, man, you got to write these things down yeah. so that in the in the struggle, you realize, oh, go back and look and, and look at that for inspiration. So I'm more kind of a real world reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Goggins book I just got done with, ironically, like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that's standing out. Uh Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had to put it down. Tears. Cancer makes you just cry. I don't know. It's the craziest thing. In, in 40 years, I hadn't cried in <laughs> who knows how long. And But it's good tears, man. It makes you feel alive. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think it's, you know, it's interesting. It's like you don't realize anything about your life until you realize how quick it can go away. No doubt. You know? And so, like, I I love reading books about perseverance and moving through things and human performance and like Steve Jobs's book the biography on on Jobs was the largest book that I had read like it was like 500 and something pages it was a it was a, a beast to get through but he's such a unique guy in some ways very polarizing right and to be able to see a visionary like a person who's so different like things are going on inside that guy's head that nobody can fathom and then it gets documented and then after the iPhone essentially changes the world no doubt. And then he dies of pancreatic cancer, and he makes this statement that, you know, that he thought that he was going to be able to, you know, overcome it, and he didn't have to worry about it. He didn't get. He chose not to get treatment, and died. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he, he until it was too late, he said, like, "I'll be all right." Wow. And the list, like, so he had a. He was known to have a, you know, very volcanic temper. He'd blow up over things. But he, he just, I think what happens to some savants is that they can't understand that you don't understand what, they're, what they see or what they think. And it just infuriated him that he couldn't <laughs> pass on the right. information. And he, you know, obviously he failed the first time at Apple, but the second time became a, a legendary change. And it, it, whether it was 
I think it was helped because he played a huge role in uh, in with the the cartoons of Disney, you know, and being involved in that that situation of creating adult type films with cartoons, you know, I thought that was pretty revealing and how that that really transported him to the iPhone and all of that and where he thought the world was going. Interesting. I, I haven't read that. I'll yeah, check it's that a, out. It's a, you know, it's a big, it's yeah, a big book, yeah. but it's a, it's worth reading. And I, I'm like this year I read, I've read some really incredible books. Oh, there's so much Talk, out there. Talking to strangers with Malcolm Gladwell is a book that everybody should read. If you're a parent of kids or if you're a kid, because it talks about like the biases that we have when we look at somebody that we don't know and how they lie to us. And understanding what's going on when you're with strangers. It was really so powerful that it was the fastest book I've ever read. No kidding. I couldn't put it down because I just kept on going through all the things that I went through in college. When you go to college, you're surrounded by 20,000 strangers. And all the errors in judgment that I made positively and negatively kind of get thrown in my face. And now, now that there's evidence and studying, like they can't believe that they're studying strangers and what's going on in the human body. And there are some really compelling stories of terrible things that have happened when trusting or not trusting uh, people that you don't know. You give, you've given me two that are on my list. Yeah, it's really good. If, you're, if there's a book that you ever want to read about human performance, The Rise of Superman and Stealing Fire, both written by Stephen Kotler. Okay totally you can't put those down either the rise of superman is maybe 10 years old now but is a deep dive in the study of human performance and why are humans doing things so much faster bigger and stronger than ever before it's because we're starting to understand how and why and then stealing fire is the learning the the ways to hack into elite performance super quick let me ask you a question you've asked me the question as a as a golfer, you stand over that 150 yard shot, and I remember the one yesterday I hit in the woods. I remember the one the day before that I hit in the water. I wonder what the percentage. So then you stand up to it the next day. I wonder what the percentage of success would be when you have these negative thoughts. I mean, when you when you turn on the U.S. Open today, if they hit it in the water yesterday, they're today when they have that shot, they're thinking, "I'm putting this one close, right?" But like as the marginal golfer, you remember. You remember the bad ones, which is the more I get into this, I got to change my swing fundamentals, no doubt, but I've got to change my mind. Like what other aspect in life are you, before you're getting ready to perform, are you remember what you messed up last time? That's your last thought. Don't put it in the water. Don't put it in the woods. Yeah. I mean, that's, that can't be a recipe for success. No, it's not. And you know, so two podcasts ago, uh, I had, really, in my opinion, the greatest coach in human performance as it pertains to how the brain accesses stored talent, like all of your myelin, all of your muscle memory. How, what's, how does that work? So most people would believe that the harder you try, the harder you focus, and the harder you concentrate at something, the better you're going to do. But in movement and in sport, that is the exact opposite. So, so to learn how to get out of the way and stop trying and start being and doing. To stop looking at my 15-point checklist before I swing the golf club? Yes. I mean, at the end of the day, <clears throat> you don't lose your golf swing. You lose your ability to access it. 
Okay, so you can, well, we've demonstrated it, you can hit great golf shots, but you're trying so hard to do it right that you're getting in the way of what you already know how to do. So learning how to interfere with the prefrontal cortex, the judge, the jury in your, in your brain, the perfecter, how to interfere with the prefrontal cortex so it doesn't get involved in the motion so that you can just let what you have come out that's the trick. Mm. You know, so I'm deep into hypnosis. I'm fascinated by the ability to transcend your mind, go into a transient state, and get out of your own way. <clears throat> because the, one of the best in the world lives here in Nashville. His name is Steve Rame, and I've done a podcast with him. He's totally amazing. And to watch him take the demons away from me, because he helps you misremember he doesn't take away the memory. He almost turns it from a first-person experience to a third-person experience, mm. like you watched it in a movie instead mm. of it happened to you. To get out of your own way is a trick in learning how to trust yourself. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to set up over a golf shot and be 100% okay with the outcome before you hit it. Mm. And that's not easy for the best players in the world because they've worked so hard to be great, when they hit a bad shot, they personalize it. And when you personalize it, you get angry at it. That means the wrong part of your brain was involved. So there's a very big difference between hitting a golf shot in the right brain, maybe even in quiet eye, which is a deeper state. When you hit a shot in that place, you hit it and it doesn't work out, your brain's like, wow, that's, that's strange. That's not what I intended to do. What did I feel there? Oh, I didn't, I didn't finish my backswing turn. Something interfered with the shot, the target, the, or the importance of the shot interfered with it mid-motion, and it got me quick and it got in front of it. Versus the left brain, you hit a bad shot. It's a club-throwing, club-slamming, profanity-laced <laughs> <clears throat> judgment on yourself. Oh, yeah. I, I'll hit a crappy shot, mope up to the next one, Feel like just one inch tall, try harder, try harder, left arm here, right arm here, try harder, try harder, and then what happens? It gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is when your left side of your brain's kicked in and you're judging yourself, you're so critical of all bad, and the only accepting shot you have is the perfect one, where the best players in the world accept every shot when they're at their best because they know that they can play from there. mm Oh, well, this gives me an opportunity to demonstrate why I've worked on my flop shot mm, so much. Wow, wow. And Brant Snedeker was the best that I've ever seen at, he called it flipping the Mo switch, the momentum. He almost looked forward to missing a green so that he could chip in. Wow, that's or powerful. making a putt because he felt like it flipped the momentum so profoundly that it rattled almost all competitors. Now, obviously, it doesn't work at the PGA Tour level. But it really, it really did damage in the junior and college level because he would be like, oh, here, I finally got a chance to get a stroke on him. And then he chips in. And now you got this seven-foot birdie putt that now looks like it's right, 35 right, feet. Right. And then you miss it. And you're like, I just lost to a guy who wow. hooked his tee shot, you know, thinned his iron shot left, and chipped it in. And I hit a perfect drive, a perfect wedge to seven feet, and I lip out. Because he had practiced that whatever obscure shot, and he stepped up to it and said, I got this. And he was unfazed by a less-than-perfect shot. He felt like it played into his strengths, even though that makes no sense. The fact that his mind was able to go there 
and be like, good. Wow. Like Jocko, one of the greatest videos I've ever seen, Jocko Willink talks about anything that happens negative to you, just say good. <laughs> you know, because that means when you say good, that gives me an opportunity to demonstrate why I'm the best short game player. Good. This allows me to show that I can hit the ball low underneath this tree. Wow. Good. This shows that I can hit the ball over this tree. They think they got me down. They don't have me down. Good. And I love that mindset. Oh, I love that too. I have to the, write that down. That the, is, it's a great video. You oh. can look it up on YouTube. Just like Jocko Willink, good. It is awesome. And he does it in a military form, obviously, because he's a Navy SEAL. About what it was like to try to get ready for battle and not be able to get the supplies or the things you needed. And he's like, if we didn't get it, good. good. We got to work harder. Yep. You know, we got to think smarter. Yep. And like that kind of mindset, that's what I try to put into myself and my coaching. You're struggling? Good. Keep working harder. Go faster. It's not fast enough? Good. Go faster. I'm not, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not doing this? Good. Get work. Get, that get, is awesome. Get at it. That is powerful. Because <clears throat> that's what it takes. You know, life is a struggle and you never know where your struggle is coming from next. Attitude's critical. No doubt. Mindset's critical. And so that's the key. <clears throat> Growing up, favorite college basketball team? Oh, man, I would kind of flip with whatever was hot. Like I said, Georgetown, Hoya Paranoia, that was it for me. I mean, those guys, now that we're talking about the mental aspect, man, they had you beat. John Thompson, who just passed away yeah. two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, what a legend. I mean, they had you. He's big and tall and had the towel, and he'd be waving it. I mean, they had you before it started. Michigan with the baggy with the baggy shorts, shorts and how cool they were. I mean, they had you before it even threw it up. Those two for sure. Uh now love Belmont. Uh, Casey Alexander head coach there now was assistant for me. Good golfer, not as good as Coach Bird, but uh-huh. uh good golfer. Uh follow Belmont a lot now. So awesome. uh, those are the main ones. Favorite basketball player. Ooh, man. Mm. You know, in the relatively recent future, like, I just love watching Steve Nash play. The way that he Mm. just controls the game as as a marginal athlete out there amongst the greatest athletes. I mean, for my money, I think a basketball player is the best athlete in the world. I mean, you're 6'7", you're ripped you can run you can jump you can do all this other stuff i think you could train a basketball player to play just about any other sport i think you're right and then to have him who doesn't fit any of those bills win an mvp dominate a game he just got a head coaching job just that understanding of the game to be able to think two plays ahead to be able to do that i like watching hockey and soccer you see the pass that leads to the pass, that leads to the goal. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. just to be able to see the game in that aspect, I just always admired that. Yeah. Favorite movie? Mm, man, see, you're, you're kind of embarrassing me. You hit me with the my music, <laughs> which I hit you with Taylor Swift. Oh, do I give you the real one? Of course. Top Gun. Love Top Gun. I mean. I exposed my kids to Top Gun last month. Golly. I mean, there's just, I couldn't even pick out a favorite scene in there because it's just all, all just so good. I mean, obviously, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. And man, if that movie doesn't just get you going, oh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, there's, I have, I have a, a, like, Gladiator to me. Oh, so good. 
moves me. And that scene where, you know, Russell Crowe's down in the pit and Joaquin Phoenix comes down and tells him to take off his mask. That's the most powerful thing I, I've ever, like that kind of revenge and disposition and will to force your will on something. Like in that movie, that moves me every time. Every time I look for, I need something to get me through a wall, I go to that scene. Oh, and it's and it's so good. And, you know, whether it's a movie, a book or whatever, uh, and unfortunately for me, it took cancer for me to bring it out of it. I will be watching a movie or a show or something and just see it and be like, man, you know, whether it's that scene you just described, you watch it and you're like, man, that's it. Mm-hmm. Make a note in your phone or whatever. Because like you said, we're all going to go through adversity and to just be able to pick out like a little bit of inspiration or just be moved. Yeah. I mean, you could sit there and watch that movie and just be moved. I mean, oh, yeah. how cool is that? No doubt. Oh. Force Gump. Oh, love, so good. Love Force Gump. Wedding Crashers to me oh. is the first the first hour of that movie. I have to stop it like five times. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, when it's on TBS these days, I mean, I have to watch it. I mean, every, everything now is like DVR, you know, you know, you rather rarely just kind of turn on the TV unless it's sports and just kind of see what's on. But if if that movie's on TBS, I mean, I got to watch it. Yeah, they went two hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But there's there's something about laughing and there's something about crying that is so good for the soul. Oh, I do more of it now. I, I like I said, I wish it didn't take me going through this to do that. I mean, I'll laugh, cry, I've done it all right yeah. here, and, and however long. We've been talking, and if you, if this can inspire somebody to look for that in their life, yeah. whether it's golf, whether it's whatever, whether it's watching a movie, reading a book, I mean, that's what it's all about, man. No doubt, no doubt. Final question. You get a chance to play golf one last time with any three people, dead or alive. What golf course you playing? Who are you taking with you? Oh, Wow. I mean, I I took I've never I wouldn't say I've ever played ever a top golf course, so I don't even know what it looks like. I mean, I I think I would have to go Augusta. I mean, why not? Growing up in Nashville with Augusta six hours away, and I've spent a lot of time in Augusta and just never seen it. I've never been, never played it. Obviously, I think I'm enough to start there. I get three choices, man. It might be a recency bias, but two of the doctors that I had going through this stuff, I saw one of them yesterday for an appointment. I don't even know if these guys play golf. If they don't, we'll just go we'll hack get it them, around. We'll get them a series of lessons, I think. <laughs> Their first time might not be need to be Augusta, but uh, Carl Willis, I mean, the, I saw him yesterday. The guy is just a big teddy bear, and him he did the chemotherapy uh radiation julian heights um those two and you wow yeah and i'm not just i'm not just saying that because you're here it's just to be able to and like i said if i wish i had had this knowledge 20 years ago 10 years ago five years ago just to be able to expand your mind, and, we, and we've talked about things that are not even golf-related, but just people that'll just expand your mind, uh, I think I'm going with you three. Oh, that's very kind of you. What's your three? Whew. I would say my mentor, B. 
Bill Strahl's ball. So Bill Strahl's ball is the only P PGA professional to have won every major award, which is why the fifth award is called the Bill Strahl's ball award. I'd want to play with Bill Strahl's ball. I would want to play with my high school best friend, Mark Timmons. And I would want to play... It's a tough question. I, I I would say Bill Straw's ball, Mark Timmons, and I think I'd want to play with with Rory McIlroy. Rory uplifts me with his his way, the way he answers questions, the way he plays the game is so powerfully and beautiful simultaneously. But I'd love to spend some time with him. I haven't had a chance to play with my best friend in a long, long time. It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, best friend, kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, I mean, we were inseparable. And then life happens, get married, all that kind of stuff. And we had kind of fallen out of touch. We played golf two days ago. If nothing else that I get out of golf is that I've reconnected with my best friend mm -hmm. since kindergarten, then, dude, this game gave me more than – I could ever give it, you know, yeah. just to think about that. You asked for my top three. Well, tomorrow I could go play with him and just to be able to reconnect with somebody that mm -hmm. you haven't seen in a while. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. Man. Yeah, it really is. Like to me, I always tell people, like, if I get one round of golf to play, I'm going to play Cypress point in California, it's right on the coast, right by Pebble beach. It's super private. It is the greatest, but if you're going to give me a whole weekend, <laughs> I'm going to Bandon dunes. Bandon dunes is the greatest place for golf anywhere in the world in my opinion uh, it is it is so spectacular and and much like you like i, I went like on on the opposite side of the bias i went for things that i haven't i won't get yeah. a chance to do right. like, bill strawsball's passed away a long time ago i haven't seen my best friend in a long time and i've never had i'll probably never had the opportunity to play with rory mcelroy but the greatest gift obviously is to be able to play golf with your family well, I'm not, you, you challenge me with my swing speed. I'm going to challenge you. Reach out to your best friend. Tell him. Well, we, I did yesterday. Okay. That's okay. Because okay. he lives in New York. He's an architect in New York. And he, he's all, we're always, every time there's a major championship, because it starts from our kid, like 12 years old, 13 years old, we would always be like, it was first, it was Greg Norman. And then it turned into, you know, the, the Tiger Woods thing. But Greg Norman was our, it was, that the was shark. our man. That was Seve your man. Seve by Steris and that whole, that whole era. So we've always, like, every time there's a major championship, who do you think's going to win? But we just bounce back and say, he hit me up yesterday. You know, he's played wing foot. He's like, what do you think? Who's going to be the – who do you think coming down the home stretch? Who's it going to be? And I was just like, dude, we have to well, – I can't remember. The last time we played golf, it was probably 19 years ago. Well, I'm going to challenge you, man. Got to get that done. I'm going to challenge you to do that. It is just uh, – you got to do that. Yeah. You need to do that. Reach back out to him. It's been so rewarding to me to form relationships in golf. I mean, I've had more friends through golf, more guys that you meet. Like you said, you get to spend four hours with these people, ups, downs. You hit it in the water. You pure one. Like it, You go through the whole gauntlet with them. Uh, <laughs> so I'd like to see you play with them. Uh, well, I certainly will. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, uh, powerful story. And once again, if you're out there, Send me, send me contact on all my social media platforms if you want to get in touch with Will. We'll set it up, and uh, I promise you won't be disappointed. Let's go work on some swing speed. Let's do it, buddy. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, awesome. man.
Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.